Good morning. You're tuned into KBBI Homer AM 890 and on translator K201AO 88.1 FM in Seward. You're tuned into the coffee table. My name is Josh Crone. I'll be your host this morning. Thanks so much for joining me. I have in the studio with me this morning, live from the Gary Thomas studio in downtown Homer, members of the Spark, the South Peninsula, Peninsula Amateur Radio Club, um, commonly known as ham radio. I know that's not a term that's uh, uh, highly prized in the uh, community of amateur radio, but uh, a common moniker nonetheless. So I'm joined by uh, Spark's uh, president, Rick Baird, and Spark's secretary, Tony Rich. Thank you both for joining me this morning. Let me get your mics on. There we go. Go ahead, gentlemen. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the uh, the show this morning. So um, as I may have indicated to you in my uh, uh, correspondence before the program, I'm a bit of a uh, uh, amateur radio nerd, uh, not really a uh, participant so much, but um, I've been into it. Uh, we can change that. Fair portion. Well, I hope so. <laughs> That's actually why I invited you here. Um, the, I spent a, a fair portion of my life shadowing my grandpa, who was a, uh, uh, an amateur radio um, uh, operator, and um, he built his own gear in the 50s and 60s and um, uh, operated a club out of eastern Nebraska, ran his own uh, weekly Sunday morning show, the 1300 Club, for many years, and uh, um, I got to watch, I got to participate, jump on the microphone with him occasionally, talk to uh, strangers from uh, around the country and around the world, and uh, also got uh, the opportunity to climb trees and string wires for him <laughs> so we could uh, reach various frequencies that he didn't have the capability of reaching without my help. So Lucky kid. Yeah, no, it was a great experience. So uh, uh, like I said, I'm a bit of a nerd about this, and uh, I appreciate you coming in, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what we have to uh, discuss this morning. So... Uh, I'd say the, the first thing we should do is let's just get a primer for our listeners. What is amateur radio? Well, there's different <laughs> uh, definitions, uh, Webster's and, and uh, uh, different places. But what it, basically, what is ham radio? Ham radio is a licensed radio service that enables you to communicate all around the world and even outer space with your own equipment. It's vital for emergency communication, technology advancement, and it's an incredible hobby with over uh, 750,000 licensed hams in the United States. So it's a popular, popular pastime. Okay. Um, now, how long has amateur radio been in use? Well, it dates back to the turn of the 19th century. And, uh, you know, the original radio operators were professionals. And as they started having their transmissions on the air, uh, other non-professionals took interest in the activity, and they were called amateur operators. And then the pros looked down on them as, oh, kind of um, ill-qualified and called them ham-fisted. <laughs> and so the term ham stuck. So that's where that comes so, from. Yeah, and yeah. so that's synonymous with amateur radio, and I don't think... I don't think many hams look down on the term anymore. Well, very good. Yeah. Well, not, not really meant to be a term of endearment in the first right. place, though. Interesting. Right. Good to know. Okay. Um, so uh, as the, uh, uh, the hobby became more mainstream, and uh, you can now go out and purchase uh, professionally built gear to uh, satisfy your uh, hobby needs, um, how has it evolved over the last, well, 100 years, really? Because we've gone from 
uh, home-built tube radios to uh, transistors to uh, very complicated multi-band uh, transceivers that can operate on multiple frequencies at the same time. So how did we get from point A to where we're at now? You know, I think one of the nice things about ham radio is that it's evolved along with technology. So when I first got interested in it in the 60s, uh, we were building our own stuff. And uh, commercial stuff, for me at least, was not out of reach, but it's something you really had to save your pennies for. Um, but as, uh, as the science of uh, over-the-air technology evolved, I think hams evolved with it, and their interests changed and evolved. So now it's very common to have digital communication, uh, not, just, uh, not just voice or, or Morse code. Yeah. So uh, I the technology's improved, and the equipment has changed right along with it. Excellent. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. So when you think about amateur radio, frequently you're thinking of, uh, you know, like you said, reaching out to somebody across the country, possibly around the world, um, as you mentioned, uh, reaching the space station, reaching people in space. Has anybody in the club here ever reached out to the space station? Yes. Well, yes, yeah. excellent. My son pointed that out to me about a year ago and said, we need one of these so we can talk to the astronauts. Um, on uh, For every space station mission, there's always a amateur radio operator or operators, mm -hmm. multiple. Um, our, our past president and uh, COD uh, uh, buddy was supposed to be here, and he has talked with the space station. I've heard it. I haven't talked with it yet. Uh, but it, the, uh, it can use a small, basically handy talkie or HT is what we call it, uh, basically to talk to the uh, space station. You don't need a lot of power. If you had a little small directional antenna, just a handheld, you could talk to the space station. Okay, neat. Uh, that's one of those things that's on my, uh, my bucket list to, to attempt. So uh, back to the, the discussion about technology and how it's developed here over the last century. Um, so going from, uh, from basic voice communication, which the initial uh, uh, home-built radios, were they were transmitters and receivers? Transceivers, were they one, or the one and then the other? Well, traditionally, transmitters and receivers were separate. Mm -hmm. And the technology for each, although it had some common features, were largely different. Mm -hmm. As technology evolved and circuitry design evolved, the, the two were combined typically into what's now called the transceiver. So it's it's efficient in terms of space and also utilization of circuitry. Yeah, and power usage. I think that was one of the things that my uh, grandpa complained about a lot with his rig, which, by the way, took up most of his basement. Yeah, and probably heated it as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so the power usage with all of that equipment and uh, you know, gigantic power supplies and vacuum tubes, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. warmed the place up. So uh, moving along to uh, uh, transceiver technology for two-way communication, did it use the same frequency to... to transmit back and forth, or did you use separate frequencies, one in and one out? It, it depends by frequency okay. and by band. And, uh, and mode. Yeah, yeah and yeah. mode, okay. uh, which is the, the kind of transmission you make. But typically you're on the same frequency or s just slightly offset. Uh, but in terms of um, FM, for example, when we have what are called repeater stations here, which pick up relatively low-power signals and retransmit them on a slightly different frequency, you're offset by, by some fixed amount. Gotcha. Just that's to creates a, a just a separation of the frequencies so you don't get interference with that or well it allows you to hear listen and talk at the same time without interfering with yourself. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
let's see, where was I going with that? Oh, the data uh, usage on uh, modern radios. So we've gone from being uh, uh, voice communication, two-way voice communication, to being able to transmit not just uh, pulse information, but also uh, actual data. So you can run an internet stream over <laughs> a, over a, uh, amateur radio. How you, does that work? You can. Uh, there's different modes throughout uh, uh, ham radio, amateur radio. Um, uh, the mode you're kind of talking about is the digital mode. And then uh, there's uh, uh, modes within modes. I'm not trying to confuse you, but there's sub-modes and stuff like that. And uh, you can use um, oh, different applications. Uh, you can actually send emails over the radio. And, uh, again, using different modes and stuff. Uh, another uh, form of it um, is called WinLink, and it's a... a a type of communications. Um, uh, the data you can send teletype, mm -hmm. what we used to call teletype, or RIDI. Um, uh, there's uh, modes that transmit for uh, uh, 28.7 seconds, JT65, receive for 28.5 seconds. Uh, then FT8 uh, transmits for 15 seconds, receives for 15 seconds, and then there's a thing called FT4, transmits for five seconds, six seconds, and receives. So there's some pretty neat stuff out there. It's not that complicated, but you just have to work at it a little bit. Yeah, there's special technology that goes along with that. Is it like a modem for a computer that attaches to that? Are you uh, send and uh, receive through the computer, or do you have a, a separate device? You do, and you can just use the computer. Once you have different modes, um, how do I say, uh, installed on your computer, it's a standalone. You don't need the Internet. And so what you're doing is using the computer for uh, 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 decoding the data. And so you'll see it come across the screen, and you, like talking Japan, uh, he might have a JA seven call sign, and then you're only making a contact. You're not talking. Uh, you're just making contacts with it, and so uh, it. Um, I believe the military and NASA were using it for satellite communications, and they weren't using it on HF at first, which is high frequency. They were using it on uh, FM frequency, frequency modulation uh, uh, frequencies. And so uh, then the amateur guys got a hold of it and started, hey, this sounds pretty neat. And there was a guy in uh, uh, Canada, I think his name is Joe Taylor, actually come out with uh, different modes of uh, digital communication. So Okay. Um, just a reminder for our listeners, we are taking calls this morning. If you've got any questions for our panel, you can give us a call. Jimmy is standing by on the phone, 907-235-7721. You can also email questions to me, josh, at kbbi.org, and we'll get those questions on for our guests this morning. And our guests are uh, members of the South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club, SPARC, and with me is Toby Rich, the club secretary, and uh, Tom Baird, the club president. Rick. Rick Baird, I'm so sorry. Uh, there was another guest that didn't make it this morning, so mixed up with an, a long list. So thank you uh, both for joining us this morning. And again, for our listeners, if you'd like to call in and ask any questions, this would be a great time to do so. Jimmy is standing by on the phone, 907-235-7721. So let me pivot a little bit to the real-world practical use of amateur radio. Um, it's, uh, it's a fun hobby. It's something that people gain a lot of satisfaction and uh, uh, spend a lot of their pastime and passive income on. Um, 
but it has real-world implications, real practic uh, practical uses for, uh, for everybody. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that, how it's been used in the past, and how maybe it's being uh, planned to be used in the future? Sure. sure. The, uh, I think the most obvious example is using the ham radio stations as an emergency link in the event of some sort of disaster, whether it's flood or hurricane or, in the case of Alaska, earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And in uh, many of those situ situations, the established infrastructure goes down. You know, the power grid goes down, the Internet goes down. And so hams are uh, well positioned to be uh, serving as emergency fill-ins for those communication gaps. They have, they have their equipment, often have an independent power supply. Uh, their antenna is separate from, from everything else. Uh, and they'll often have uh, gear in their car so they can be uh, both mobile and available. Very good. Yeah, it's a, uh, a common uh, in indicator of when somebody is a uh, ham operator. They've got a special code on their license plate on their car. Is that correct? Uh, that's a good indication. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's your call sign. Right. Um, yeah. My uh, my grandpa had his call sign on his license plate, and he had his uh, portable rig inside of his car, rigged up to his Prius, of course. You know. So. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> Different states have uh, 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 licensing uh, requirements, and then if you're a ham and apply for uh, a ham license plate, some of them are free. Some of them are like reduced fifty percent. Uh, and uh, uh, but the state uh, uh, recognizes amateur radio operators, and that's one way of showcasing it and, and advertising it. Hey, this guy's a ham or whatever. So excellent and a perk. That's good. Yeah. Um, so as far as the emergency usage for uh, for amateur radio, so there's some uh, examples over the last decade. Uh, Superstorm Sandy uh, seems to spring to mind for me as one of the the primary recent examples of uh, ham operators be becoming. Uh, incredibly useful uh, to their areas as far as communicating with both emergency services and with individuals. How does that work? Uh, well, the uh, typically there'll be an organization of hams set up in advance to serve in case of an emergency. So it could be, um, you know, a, an emergency-focused arm of a club, and they'll have special gear on designated frequencies. And they go, they coordinate with the local emergency coordinator, and uh, they'll go to the appropriate sites, uh, decide what traffic needs to be communicated. It could be personal welfare, it could be has a bridge washed out or something of that sort, and they transmit that information to uh, the, whoever the state designates as the appropriate recipient. Okay. And uh, so, and back to the, the Superstorm Sandy uh, example, um, they were instrumental in connecting. Uh, loved ones with that uh, were out of communication. Um, they were essential for setting up food drops for places that were uh, uh, unable to make contact in other ways. So uh, seems like kind of a crucial part of our infrastructure when it comes down to it. it. It is, and that stuff doesn't happen by accident. It happens because those groups get together and practice and do drills with the local emergency coordinators. So when something happens, they know what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. Well, that's actually a really good segue into the next part of the topic, which is talking about the uh, the technology that you have built here. Um, so, uh, you know, like back in the day with uh, with amateur radio rigs, I'm you know I'm seeing wires strung up in trees across yards and uh, all of that. And now uh, the last uh, the last rig that I saw was a handheld. It was just a little like a little old CB uh, with a very complicated dial on it. 
but how does that work? Uh, you can't possibly reach across across the world with a handheld, right? Uh, no, you can. You can. And, and uh, there's a different mode. It's called uh, DMR, which is Digital Mobile Radio Service. And, but unfortunately, it's using a computer. So if you lose your computer, you won't have DMR. But using the DMR, it goes uh, from your handheld through a DMR um, repeater downloaded to a computer system, and and you can talk around the world. Okay. And literally, it's uh, uh, I've talked to Europe many times just on this handheld using like three or four watts into a. Um, uh, hot, um, hot leak type thing, um, hot spot, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. But again, it's it's computer or internet driven. So as far as emergency use, eh, to be desired, it may not may not be there when you need it. Correct. Yeah. Um, so the, you've got another method for uh, for getting out long range communications here. Am I uh, am I correct in assuming that? Is there, there, is there another tower that you guys have, uh, an antenna that everybody accesses? Oh, we have a repeater. Well, actually, there was an old tower up on Diamond Ridge, uh, just adjacent from the uh, current is AT&T building. Um, and it had been there since the 50s, and it was part of the old... Uh, um, um, part of the White Alice installation? White Alice system, exactly yeah. right. And uh, we had a pretty good repeater up there. But the towers become in a, uh, you can't climb it, so we can't do any maintenance on it. And so we had actually had the range on that repeater using you could use an HT uh, handheld uh, from Kodiak all the way up to Kenai, uh, and sometimes into the uh, northern uh, uh, like Eagle River, Chugiak area, and stuff like that. Just depends, uh, and weather sometimes has something to do with that a little bit, but. Unfortunately, it's kind of gone by the wayside. Not, you know, nature has taken its toll on it. And uh, so uh, there's a, a re kind of replacement up uh, that uh, it, it's working and uh, we're just constantly improving on it, you know, just uh, like anything else. So Okay. And so for, for our listeners to uh, explain a little bit about how that works. So you have your home, home rig uh, or your handheld and then you can access the, the repeater. And then the repeater gives you the extra range. So you're you're accessing the repeater on one frequency, and then are you m changing the frequency on the repeater, or does it just pick up wherever wherever you're at on your handheld? So you have simplex, which mm -hmm. is one to one and 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 not changing. Then you have duplex, which is the most repeaters all repeaters are, and uh, so you're inputting on one frequency and it transmits out on another frequency. Right. Okay, so it uses multiple frequencies to be able to get out, uh, uh, to be able to receive from around. And them. they're set. You know, you don't adjust them. They're set. Gotcha. And so, yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so huh, so the uh, that tower is falling into uh, disrepair, you say? And, uh, yeah. It, I mean, it, it did great for a long time. It was part of, like you said, the old White Alice system. Um, it was originally a HF high-frequency tower, and... Uh, uh, I'm not sure what kind of antennas they had on it. And, and like I said, it was uh, set up in the 50s. I can't remember the exact date on it. Uh, but it had lasted a long time. I mean, considering where it is, where we are, the weather, the salt water, salt weather, and uh, uh, it's really done well. Nice. And we're in the process of fixing it up. You know, it's one of those 
continuous processes. You upgrade one component and then another. Yep. And we pretty much have it where we want it. We're working on a new antenna for it, I think, is uh, the next project probably. Okay. Uh, and then we have a second repeater operating under Toby's call sign down on the spit. Okay. And uh, the nice thing about that is it's on a different frequency band, and it gives us different coverage. Okay. So it really helps us broaden our coverage area. Well, tell me a little bit about the uh, the breakdown in spectrum as far as certain certain spectrums reach certain distances. Is that more more or less? That's a very simplified mm -hmm. view, I understand. Uh, okay. Uh, FM frequency modulation is basically line of sight. There's some things that can affect it, weather, uh, um, can uh, actually affect FM, and you probably know that from the station here, you know, and uh, uh, wetter conditions absorb it more, so you don't have a, that large of a radiation pattern, but on days like this, it should be really good. Um, so, let's see here, I lost my train of thought. Um, the uh, radio, um, so you have frequency modulation, which is line of sight, and then you have HF, which is high frequency, which is a different set of frequencies. And using HF, um, and everybody kind of heard of the ionosphere and the northern lights and, and sunspots and stuff like that. They all have something to do with amateur radio and how, where you're gonna talk, how far you're gonna talk, or, and receive too. So um, most wire antennas, which you made mention earlier, um, are omnidirectional, the 360 degrees, but they shoot off to the sky and hit the ionosphere and bounce back. Uh, and depending on where you are, you know, we got one of the best reflectors sitting out in front. Ketchumac Bay is a great big reflector for uh, ham communication, HF. It's great because uh, it makes a bounce off that salt water, hits the ionosphere, and bounces wherever. So. Mm -hmm. Yep, the ionospheric bounce. Uh, we uh, we count on that for KVBI to get uh, uh, communication uh -huh. back from places like Norway, where we get postcards about once a oh, month. Oh yeah, we've nice. tuned into KVBI. Can you nah. confirm oh, yeah. this? Oh, okay, because this is an AM station, th which right. is amplitude modulation, and which was that's what uh, the first uh, uh, ham radio guys were using was AM, uh, like the Titanic guys and, and the Marconi. Uh, basically invented it and, well, and I was going to say the, the first the first AM radios were AM transceivers correct and uh, there were no professional operators at that point it was just you got a radio yep have fun yep and you uh, amateurs can still use AM uh, mode um, uh, but now they're they've developed uh, what's called single sideband there's upper uh, sideband there's lower sideband and so uh, which is a different set of frequencies that a person uh, amateur radio can use and just to be clear here the the initial um, uh, efforts at radio communication were using Morse code mm -hmm. they weren't using voice yeah so that was the that was the fundamental basis and then AM evolved after that so uh, since you've mentioned Morse code uh, that brings up the uh, the training to become an amateur uh, operator uh, is Morse code a uh, part of the uh, part of the testing process? To not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. Um, uh, I've practiced in vain. <laughs> well, it's not in vain because Morse code is starting to make a comeback. It kind of died for a while. Uh, military had used it for a long time, and uh, 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 but uh, Morse code kind of, like I said, kind of died down a little bit. Now it's starting to come back up. People are using it more and more. Um, but it's, uh, as far as the testing goes, it's a no-code testing. 
And that okay. happened, I think, 1990, I believe, uh, the FCC uh, done away with uh, the Morse code testing. Excellent. Uh, well, let's. Uh, um, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll take about four minutes and uh, uh, gather our thoughts. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the certification process for amateur radio, and then I want to talk more more specifically about our club and uh, what kind of activities, what kind of things people can get involved in. And uh, uh, a reminder to our listeners: we are taking calls this morning. If you have any questions for us, you can give us a call nine zero seven. Two three five seven seven two one. You can also email me, Josh at kbbi.org, and ask your questions here. We look forward to talking to you again. Nine zero seven two three five seven seven two one. Jimmy is standing by to take that call. This is KBBI AM eight ninety Homer, and on translator K two zero one AO eighty eight point one FM. We'll be right back.
good morning. You're tuned into KBBI Homer AM 890 and Seward K201AO 88.1 FM. The time is 9.32. You're listening to The Coffee Table here on KBBI. My name is Josh Crone. I'm your host this morning, and I'm joined in the studio by guests from the South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club, uh, Rick Baird, who is the president of the club, and Toby Rich, who is the secretary of the club. Thank you both for, uh, for joining of me course. this morning. And uh, we were talking a little bit at the end of the uh, last segment about uh, emergency services and things like that. And uh, I want to continue going on that, and then let's talk about um, uh, the local club and activities that we have with that. But talking about emergency services, the, the, the practicalness of uh, uh, amateur radio in modern-day society and uh, some of the uh, real-world instances where it has been put into use. And you mentioned one, the, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing was a, an instance where uh, amateur radio was used to great effect. Can you tell me a bit, bit about that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, once the bomb started going off, the, the, the first bomb initial, the cell phone uh, 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 keyboards uh, um, or circuits just started getting overwhelmed and everybody using a cell phone. So they couldn't, cell phones couldn't get out. And so there was amateur radio operators had all the... Uh, relay stations or uh, uh, water stops throughout the uh, marathon route. And so they were using amateur radio guys to control the flow of the, the people and, hey, you need to stop or whatever the case to be or this is what's going on. So they were passing traffic that way. And uh, another note is uh, a lot of the major hurricanes and stuff like that that happened in the uh, southeast uh, the, a lot of the emergency department uh, first responders are getting their technician license so they have amateur radio radios in their vehicles because a lot of the, um, I think it's called Almar system, um, w most of that is uh, computer driven and I could be wrong on that, uh, but uh, amateur radio isn't and especially if you're using simplex frequencies and that you're talking one-to-one. -one. And uh, so you, you have a range just in a mobile vehicle, uh, 25, 30, 50 miles possibility. So you have a good range in for emergency communications and for the, the first responders. Very good. Um, so uh, one, one more instance here. Uh, if you've got one more uh, in your back pocket, any more emergency situations where uh, amateur radio has played an important part and how? Well, I think the earthquake 1964. in 1964 is a, gr is a great example. There we go. Uh, I was, uh, it was in Seattle at the time, uh, practicing ham on an, a, a member of an emergency network, and a lot of the uh, traditional communication channels went down, and so ham stepped in, uh, the ham club at Elmendorf, for example, and the, the hams in Seattle were handling a lot of traffic, mostly personal welfare, but some uh, other more technical data from Elmendorf to uh, McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma. So it would come down on ham radio and then, then be called in locally to the Air Force Base. So uh, very active for a number of days. That's great. Um, so let's talk about uh, SPARC, South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club. How long has the club here in Homer been around? 1982. Okay, a good long while. That's great. Um, who formed it? Uh, who's in it? And uh, what kind of stuff do we do? Um, who formed it? There's <laughs> a list of people. Uh, um, I'm not sure if they're um, around anymore. Uh, we don't see them in our current club members. Uh, right now we've got uh, a current roster of 72 members within oh, wow. the okay. club. So, And I won't say they show up every meeting. You know, some are seasonal. They come up in, in summertime and stuff like that. Uh, and we see new faces that we haven't seen for a year and stuff, you know. But 
Uh, yeah, we got 72 members on the roster right now. Okay, that's excellent. I didn't realize there was that many people involved. I was thinking maybe 12, 15, but that's a, that's a, a respectable number of operators and a, a probably a reliable base to uh, uh, be able to depend on in a, a given situation. Yeah, with a broad base of skills and interests. So, got some. Uh, yeah, regardless of what happens, we've got folks who are Got some people that are just so well talented. It's just we got a couple of engineers. We had some FAA guys, retired FAA guys, antenna specialists, and so we had some, the expertise uh, is is there. It's 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 really neat in the community to have that type of expertise available as a hobby. So, as a hobby for amateur radio, what kind of activities does Spark engage in? What uh, what would people expect if they if they joined the club? Well, first off, the club is open to licensed hams and unlicensed folks who are just interested in the hobby or want to know more. Mm -hmm. So we get together uh, once a month, uh, first Tuesday of the month, 6.30 at the library, the Homer Library. And it, like any club, you've got a discussion of current events, stuff that's coming up, and always a technical presentation so we can introduce a new topic or build on a previous discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, this coming meeting, which is coming up next Tuesday, we've got a presentation on Windlink, which is something that Toby mentioned earlier in the broadcast. Uh, and later, uh, later in, in June, we've got our field day event coming up where we're going to have a, a number of stations operating on the SPET remote, uh, using uh, off-grid power. Uh, we'll be down by the Seafarers Memorial. Oh, neat. And we'll have uh, signs up, and people are welcome to come by and learn more. That's how, when I moved to... Uh, to Homer in 2019, that's that's how I got associated with the, the club here. You found them? Yep. Very good. Yep. Oh, so, so tell me a little bit about the field day. I've heard about f uh, field day for uh, radio clubs before, but uh, there's there's activities involved. Games yeah, even. field day is uh, uh, the Amateur Radio Relay League, A-R-R-L, is the big amateur radio um, uh, group, yeah. and uh, they help... Uh, uh, create uh, rules. They work closely with the FCC and stuff, and and they have a great training program. and And there's there's lots of activities within the ARRL. So uh, a bunch of people from the ARRL have come up with uh, let's do let's offer not offer but let's uh, yeah offer certain dates for field days or or uh, uh, wire antenna day only or CW day you know events. Mm -hmm. And so the 24th of June, like Rick was saying, uh, we're having our field day. We've got a nice tent uh, uh, that uh, we put a couple tables up. Rick made mention it's all off the grid. We bring out batteries. We bring out portable radios, HF and FM radios, uh, and satellite. Uh, there's been some satellite communication done, and that's always kind of neat. And, it's, uh, and, and uh, like any other hobby, uh, and if somebody is proud of that hobby, they're going to talk about it. So don't get a ham talking about radios. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we've done here, I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, some of the some of the activities, um, I, you know, I know what it's called in AM radio world because that's where I'm at. But uh, as far as contacting people across long ranges, um, uh, is DX DXing. Yeah. So that's that the same phrase. DX then, being yes. distance. Yeah. yeah. So uh, is that part of a field day? Do you have like long range? Uh, uh, Outreach or anything like that? If the conditions are right, yes. Okay. Uh, Japan is most of the time a fairly easy country to get, you know, just where we are. 
and then sitting right on the end of the spit. So you have that big reflector, the saltwater catch make bay. Uh, Japan's pretty easy. Most of the time we talk to the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, but it depends on the condition, what the ionosphere is doing, uh, solar sunspots, uh, aurora. If, if the aurora lights are out or if there's a high aurora forecast out of the uh, University of uh, Fairbanks uh, uh, Northern Lights or Aurora uh, uh, Center, uh, conditions are bad then mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i mean you can turn your radio on but yeah maybe you get lucky you can get somebody getting some ionic uh, uh oh, interference yeah. oh, so yeah. does the uh the 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 see if i can break this down in simple terms here so as the uh, uh radiation from the sun strikes the earth the uh, magnetosphere of the earth reacts. well you get solar flares yes. uh, uh coronal mass ejections and they'll shoot out from the sun and uh they're shooting 360 degrees you know, if it's directed right at uh, the earth, that's where you start the, the flare, then the coronal mass injection, and then, uh, yeah, start heating up the atmosphere. And, and uh, so hopefully we'll have good days. And, and uh, summertime's not usually the best time for HF communications. I mean, it, can, it, it works, you know, but it's not exactly the best. Wintertime's usually our best time. Interesting. Um, okay, so uh, tell me about some other activities that the club engages in. Well, we are very active in maintaining our repeaters, mm -hmm. which we mentioned before, uh, and testing those on a regular basis. Uh, once a month, we go through a drill where we uh, practice operating uh, in the circumstance that the repeaters might be down, so simplex instead of duplex. We okay. won't use the repeater, we'll use a different frequency. Uh, and that helps us hone our emergency skills. Um, uh, and we'll switch repeaters. So the repeater on the spit has different coverage and different frequencies than the one up on Diamond Ridge. And going through those drills really helps us master uh, the kind of skills we'll need if something important should happen. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, is there a, uh, within the club, is there a network of individuals that make up an emergency response team? The club generally uh, is prepared to do that. And I think uh, a, a segment of the club has uh, more specialized in mobile handy talkies and uh, in, in car stations. Mm -hmm. So the answer is yes. Uh, we also are working our liaison with the Kenai Peninsula Borough Emergency Office. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got some communication links uh, going there as well. Excellent. Um, let's talk about how people get involved with Spark. Well, they can. Uh, Again, they're welcome to come to the meetings. First Tuesday of the month, 6.30 at the Homer Library. They can drop us an email, uh, or they can go on our website and find more information there. The website uh, is uh, kl7hom.org. Uh, and so contact information is there as well. Okay. Um, and, uh, and you said that it was available for licensed and non-licensed. So if, you, if you've just got an interest, you'd like to know more, this is yeah. the place to, yeah. to go to learn more. And there's, uh, like, it sounds like a, a lot of uh, experienced people to uh, uh, turn to for guidance and wisdom for this. Oh, lots of wisdom. Okay. Oh, yeah. Excellent. That's <laughs> um, where was I going to go from there? Talking about uh, membership in the club. Um, so the club's been going since 1982, a good, long, strong presence. Uh, what are the plans for the club? Well, I think our, um, our plans are to increase the number of active hams that participate on a regular basis. Um, I think there's, and it happened to me as well, uh, you know, active earlier, uh, got distracted by family and career, coming back into the hobby again, there are t 
tons of people like that who we'd like to bring back into, into the club. And there's also a new wave of younger folks who haven't yet been fully introduced to, to ham radio. And we want to make it easier for them to come into the club. So the activities that Toby does with uh, volunteer exams, really, really important. I think outreach so people just learn more about what ham radio is and if it's the right fit for them or if it's not. Uh, ham radio is, is a cool hobby because it is so diversified in the kinds of interests that, that people can have and still have this common link. So building our club membership and expanding the number of activities that we do, uh, both outreach and drills, is our, our two goals. Okay. Uh, tell me a bit about the certification process. How does somebody get licensed? And what, what are the licenses? What are they for? Um, let's talk about the licenses first, okay. then I'll go into certification. So there's three license class. There's a technician, which is your basic license. Basically, it uh, limits you to VHF, UHF, um, and some very slight HF privileges. The next license is the general class. General class gives you the HF privileges, not all the uh, privileges, but gives you a lot. It's a good class. Uh, but uh, you, uh, and then the last class in the highest class is the extra class. Extra class gives you all the privileges. It also has reprocities with uh, different countries as an extra class licensee uh, that you can go to different countries, present your license, and, and uh, uh, operate. Um, the, the, the learning process, I've got a couple of uh, sites. Uh, the first one is uh, HTTPS backslash, backslash, kl7aa.org slash vec slash remote and we'll, we'll get testing. We'll get these posted up on the website here later oh, yeah, today okay. so we can get all that information shared out uh, uh, as uh, web links as well. Um, so uh, the, go ahead and again with the testing. So there's a... So there's a testing. It's um, depend the technician in the general class are 35 questions, no time limit. Um uh, uh, we don't do in-person testing anymore. It's all done by the computer. Uh, uh, you have to have uh, a computer with a camera and another type form of a camera. Um, and uh, uh, I, uh, I'm part of the Anchorage Amateur Radio Club VEC Volunteer Examiner Coordinator uh, uh, team. And uh, you know, like uh, we test uh, six days a week, uh, uh, two to three times a day. Okay. So there are classes available both through the uh, through clubs, also commercial courses where you can learn about the technology that applies, mm -hmm. and they'll coach you through the stuff you need to know for the uh, for the exam uh, at all three levels. And as you pointed out earlier, no code, so uh, that's not a concern anymore. Can you take the Morse code test if you wanted to? Yeah. Actually, they started doing some ARL started doing something about Morse code. Um, and we got a couple of guys in the club that are very proficient uh, uh, CW operators. Uh, but they started about two, three years ago of offering uh, certification in Morse code through ARRL. I don't know all the details about it, uh, but yes, you can still. Excellent. So how that works is the, uh, the ARRL station, W1AW, transmits uh, selected Morse code groups. You copy down a segment and send your the bit that you've copied back in, and they t they'll uh, tell you yes or no. Gotcha. And uh, it, they offer uh, certifications at various speeds. Yeah, various speeds, yeah. Okay. Huh. 
The, the, and I assume the faster you are at uh, uh, translating, and uh, uh, is there also a uh, uh, ascending portion of that where you have to deliver well, a Well, Morse this code is or? receive only. Receive only, okay. Uh, in the old SCC exam, it was receive and send. Okay. Um, uh, gone. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I, I think that's what that's what I must have been training for in the f the first time that yes. I studied for this stuff because there was an extensive part on on Morse code that it it scared me off to be quite frank with you that it was uh, it was overwhelming uh, the antenna length and all of that stuff that was fairly straightforward you want to get on this frequency you need an antenna this long and you need so much power uh, but uh, being able to communicate effectively in what's really a completely different language for some of us, uh, that was quite a challenge. And for the general class license, when they had that requirement, you had to go down to the FCC office and, and take it there. Under strict so, supervision, I imagine. Yeah, strict yes. supervision, so it was a little extra stress. <laughs> well, thank goodness that's not part of it, unless yeah. you want it to be now. No. So that's good. <laughs> Um, I have a, a question here from a uh, listener uh, emailed in. We have uh, just a couple minutes left here on the program, but there is time for some callers. If you'd still like to call in a question, 907-235-7721. Uh, this question is from Wayne. Uh, he would like to know if there's potential ways for uh, South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club and KBBI to work together in an emergency situation for the community. I think the answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely, uh, yes. I think the whole... Both of us and the whole club would love to see that relationship grow. So it's a matter of just, we got to get you in the club. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but beyond that, we can set up some meetings and just see what, how we can help each other. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get a shout out to KBBI. Uh, the earthquake that we had in November two, three years ago, um, I wasn't getting much information from the other. I, I was actually uh, 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 transmitting back to Anchorage on status of our radio operators and stuff like that. So I was the go-between. And, uh, and I, I thought, now, wait a minute, KBBI is AM. So I turned on KBBI, and I was getting up-to-date what's going on with the earthquake and everything else. And so you guys were just Johnny on the spot. Very timely. It was just great because uh, I had four, I was running four radios at the same time, let alone my AM radio. So... Yeah, that was, uh, uh, but yes, work together, uh, definitely. That's a big plus, yeah. Excellent. And yeah, this seems like there's a lot of uh, uh, very crucial ways that we could uh, uh, collaborate on that as far as being able to share information with the community, being able to share specific information back to uh, individuals when necessary, that it's a, a great two-way tool for us to be able to use. And I think the, the, a little larger view of that, we'd want to coordinate with the emergency coordinator here in Homer and also the, the peninsula. Uh, borough, but absolutely. Yeah, and and KBBI is working on building a emergency response network with various organizations. We have agreements with the city of Homer and with the city of Seward, uh, sorry, the city of Seldovia currently, oh. um, where we are providing, if they have specific needs, their point of contact gets in touch with us, and we've got several methods to do that, including a satellite phone if uh, uh, other methods fail. Um, where if there is specific information, say, that Seldovia residents need, we're in a position to be able to relay, relay that for them, and same for uh, City of Homer. And we're talking about an event where, you know, cell phones are offline and uh, quite possibly power is offline, and because the station has backup generators to keep us going, we're, we're positioned to be able to do that uh, more effectively than, say, you know, VHF radio. Maybe it's on, maybe it's not. Maybe the people on the other end are there, maybe they're not. But uh, a battery-operated radio and uh, a, a, a transmitter that's on a generator will keep things running. So um, 
In addition to that, the agreement with the City of Homer also provides a, uh, a really uh, necessary step for us to provide fuel for the generator mm -hmm. that uh, we are uh, placed on a priority list with FEMA to uh, give us the opportunity to get propane to refuel our generator before it gets low. Um, so we, uh, we have a, an advantage there with our contracts with the city. And we're also working on agreements that haven't been formalized yet with uh, uh, Kiza and the Western Emergency Services area, also that have uh, been in talks with uh, the Borough Office of Emergency Management to try to formalize that. And uh, the, the icing on the cake there is that we also have, uh, in addition to our translator uh, over in Seward that we operate on, uh, we also have our partner station in Kenai Soldat and KDLL. And the way the network is set up between the stations, either station can take control of the other's broadcast area. So if we need to centralize our broadcast to uh, be able to provide an effective communication to the entire borough, be in touch with emergency service uh, organizations from across the borough, and be able to relay that information back out to listeners uh, uh, district-wide. Uh, it's a very uh, useful tool for us. And uh, it's a work in progress. Um, but I, I see uh, Spark as playing a very uh, integral part of that and uh, helping to just shore up the, uh, the communication and be able to make sure that nothing gets dropped when, uh, when everything else is down. And I should mention here that there is a ham club in, uh, in uh, Soldatna. Mm -hmm. Uh, so out in the Kenai area, uh, and also one in Seward. So, um, and again, one of our intentions is to more formalize the relationship between the three clubs. Excellent. Well, we are about out of time. We've got six or seven minutes here. Um, looks like we're not getting any more calls from listeners, which is fine. But uh, any last comments that we'd like to, to share with, uh, with folks this morning? Talk about uh, joining the club, uh, what kind of things they could expect. I encourage people who are just kind of interested or think they might be interested to stop by and attend a meeting or uh, drop us an email, and uh, we're happy to get with them over a cup of coffee or have them come into the, to the meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, if someone would like to find out more and doesn't have transportation, we're happy to pick them up and drive them. Uh, we have a limited area where that works, but certainly in the Homer area. Excellent. Uh, I, think, uh, I think outreach is really important and uh, if if that doesn't work stop by the spit on the 24th of june and and uh, come by our our uh, setup uh, by the seafarers memorial and we'll show them what ham radio is really all about excellent toby any comments from you no just thank you for the opportunity for uh, inviting us here but uh, uh, ham radio is uh, uh, it's a great hobby it can be an expensive hobby it can be a cheap hobby depends what you want to put in it what you put in is what you get out of it and, and uh, uh, it's always neat uh, uh, being on a VE team to test a younger person being 11 or 12 10 or 11 or 12 years old um, um, in fact there's one in Anchor Point uh, a girl that we tested uh, twice and she was 11 10 or 11 which is pretty cool and mm -hmm. tested twice being she took her technician pass and then took her general class and passed so um, uh, there are more and more younger people uh, and have family involvement uh, that are uh, getting involved with ham radio so excellent uh, so real quick in the last couple of minutes left, can you share me, uh, with us a uh, personal story, something that you've uh, found incredibly enjoyable about the, uh, about the hobby, about the pastime? You know, I think for me, uh, emergency communication is as satisfying as most anything. 
I mentioned I was active in the, the earthquake in uh, 1964 and at the other end in, C in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy that kind of, that kind of uh, activity and I'm building my personal station to better support that. Uh, I th uh, the other part that, that I think is great is just the social aspect because ham radio really is a social activity. You know, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a club or, or, or whatever, so. Okay. And Toby, any personal experiences you'd like to share? Um, all, they're all nice, neat, personal experience. Anytime you talk to somebody from Mongolia down to the tip of uh, South America uh, uh, or Antarctica, it, it's, uh, it's always neat. It's interesting. Hey, I talk to this guy over to the here. You know, it kind of puts a big smile on your face. So uh, amateur radio, it's not going away. It's here to stay, and it's very enjoyable. Excellent. Uh, let's share some of the URLs for some websites for folks really quick. So uh, let's start with the, the website for uh, South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club. That's kl7hom.org. kl7hom.org. Yeah, and I'll okay. give you one of these. Excellent. Uh, what other sites would be relevant for people to look at if they're interested? So the ARRL? Yeah, ARRL. And, and basically, anymore on Google, just type in ARRL and it's going to come up. Okay. Um, uh, one of the best study programs there is is called hamstudy.org. All one uh, word. Just type in hamstudy.org and it'll come up. Um, uh, QRZ.com, which is another good uh, reference area. Uh, let me see. Uh, and if you want to learn about uh, radios and, and uh, it's kind of the consumer products about radio, it's called eham review or eham.net. And uh, if you have questions about will this radio do this, will this antenna do this, or uh, what you know, what are the, the the people are saying about these things? So, okay. Any others we should drop on, folks? Uh, KL7.org is the the major. It's the Anchorage Amateur Radio Club major uh, main web page within that you can find the ve testing and and a lot of different questions right there okay excellent well i'd like to thank you both for coming on the program with me today that was a, that was a very enjoyable talk for me i uh, hope our listeners enjoyed that as well uh, so i was joined this morning by representatives from the south peninsula amateur radio club uh, rick baird and uh, toby rich and uh, rick you're the president of the club toby you're the secretary uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, I think we've learned a lot, and uh, hopefully we can get some uh, get some uh, interest in uh, amateur radio around home or build that build that up some more. Sounds good. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thanks so much. And for our listeners, this is KBBI Homer AM eight ninety, and in Seward K two zero one AO eighty eight point one FM. Thanks so much. This has been the Coffee Table. Stay tuned. Line one health coming up next. <laughs>